Hey, it's our last episode. I know. I'm like really proud that we've made this many episodes, but and and that. But I'm also like, oh. Well, yeah, and it, now uh, it's the, it's it's so the funny day. how fast it's gone, and it's so funny how fast the season's gone. And I like because I remember our first like episode, which was usually you know it's, it's it's a half an hour. We usually do an hour episode, and I'm kind of thinking like, holy smokes, how far we've come. The guests we've had on. It was you and I sitting in I think the sixth floor like meeting room because it has this amazing wall behind it, basically just talking about our like career. And uh, I looked like the Maple Leafs businesswoman. <laughs> And in like I had, there was a lot of blue going on, and I was just some guy they pulled off the street. And when it's, you're it's, like, <laughs> I'm happy to be here, guys. <laughs> well, it was funny. I remember when they were setting up the uh, the the set for that. They brought in all the producers, brought in like different Maple Leafs memorabilia they could find around the office because we're doing like a makeshift studio. Anyway, we found our our beautiful studio now, um, and I want you to introduce one of the first highlights because that's what we're going to do today. Ugh. We're going to go back through the season. I was. So excited when um, our producer, Angela, first told us that there was potentially a chance that we were going to interview this guest. And then she kept updating and became more and more likely and suddenly we're setting dates. And then suddenly you and I are sitting here and in walks Commander Chris Hadfield. Amazing. And he's like, pleased to meet you guys. And we're both just like, oh, oh, hi. Picking jaws above the floor. Oh, oh, it's really happened because you're really here and we're going to spend the next hour talking to this I, I I didn't know it. It felt like an hour, and we've talked about this a lot. Uh, it felt like going to like an hour of the best Toronto Maple Leafs themed life coaching you could <laughs> ever have. Um, and we'd done our research and we'd read our books, and then we sat down and started talking to Chris, and it just went completely out the window because there was just so much to ask and mm-hmm. and and so much to hear and so much to learn so we're going to listen to one of those great moments uh where he gave us some really important kind of life advice and what it was like for him singing the national anthem here at the air canada center so when the season started you had tweeted out that you were so happy for the season to start and then a week later you were dropping the puck because yeah. of course you had a puck on the international <laughs> space station um, in fact, I didn't. They sent one. <laughs> no, there was no puck. We have this inventory management system, and I went into the computer, and we have thousands of things, and I wrote in puck, and the computer's like, what's a puck? You know, we, we don't know what, and, and there was nothing in there. I'm thinking, oh, no, they want me to drop a puck. I don't have a puck up here. Um, and so I, I, I looked all around, and, and it's actually the lens cap of a large, uh, of one of our cameras, the black flat <laughs> lens cap. Oh, but I love way, this. It's the right size, if you think about it, and about the right, in the nice flat black color. And if you hold it right, it looks right. <laughs> then, then it looks like a puck. So no, I, I, well, we the, don't carry pucks up to the spaceship. But, I was, I was wondering that. Substituted. The, the funny part of that is I actually spoke to the game operations people who would help facilitate that. And their funny side of the story was, I believe one of the space agencies had taken the footage and had sent it to them. And they were like, we actually had to just go and download footage from NASA or wow. someone. And they were like, we're, mate, we're presenting the season with footage from NASA. Yeah. So that was really like their kind of comical start to the season for them like they loved the moment the moment but then you came back from space and then yeah. you sung the anthem for us yeah, like that, that you was... had a really great run for the leaves there <laughs> that was such a delight i mean it, it uh they, they are kind of representatives of a part of the country you know if you talk to the guys in winnipeg or the folks in vancouver or wherever the teams are um there's a there's a sense of community spirit and there should be and that's what sport does for us and 
And the Leafs, of course, are very important, one of such a, a historic team, but also very much defining a certain um, feeling. And so, and, and with my own personal family connection, you know, so with all of that, to be asked then to, to go out on the ice uh, and, and sing for those guys, and they were playing the Habs that night, I think, too. So, so to be able to sing our anthem, which represents the whole country, but sing it in a place where I am representing where I'm from and the people that represent me and, and the family history. You know, I'm standing out there singing a song, trying to make sure I don't mess it up. <laughs> but at the same time, there's just a wonderful combination of feelings that, that, are, that are behind it. I wish everyone, no matter whether you're a great singer, a terrible singer, wish everyone got to stand out at least once in their life and sing the national anthem for their sports team because it's just a lovely moment, moment in time. Are you nervous going in? You must be a little nervous. What's, I mean, nah, I mean. <laughs> I guess you, you, no, nobody you drove ever, a rocket, so yeah, I mean. <laughs> nobody ever dies flying the anthem or singing the anthem. It's just, you know, it's just, and, and you're something, I've been a musician my whole life. Uh, something I learned a long time ago is you are not the best singer in the world. I mean, watch The Voice, watch whatever you want to watch. You are not the best singer. That's one person out of seven and a half billion. But you're not the worst singer in the world either. That's why the one other person, you're somewhere in the middle. So get over it. Don't worry about it. Just sing. Everybody can sing. Infants sing. I mean, birds sing. Just don't sweat it. Just recognize that you're not in competition. You're celebrating together a whole bunch of ideas that are, that are um, sort of embodied by this particular song. So just celebrate it and enjoy yourself and have fun doing it and, and, uh, and do just the best you can. And, and I, I love the, the chance to be able to do that. I could just, and I have since we did that show, watched that that show numerous times. I've sent it to so many people. My mother has listened to it and been like, did you take this advice from it? It's just, it's kind of timeless, everything he talked about. Even just being a Leafs fan, but everything beyond that. He's, uh, it's funny, everything he says. I know we just showed a small clip, but everything he says is life advice. Yeah. And it's just everything he says. You're like, whoa, I didn't think about it that way. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's that's how he of, lives. Yeah, life, you hear it and you're like, wow, I think I just, like, my whole perception got changed on something. So, a guy that we talked to that, again, uh, we, if you told me at the beginning of the season we would get this guy on our show, I would have been like, yeah, no way. Will Arnett, Arnsley fan, and for a long time from afar, and before, you know, NHL Game Center, all of the apps that you can watch games on, he used to have to watch games in New York in a particular space, and I, I want you to hear the story he tells. Well, before, like, it's, it's easy now to get games at any time. You can record them, you can keep them, you can stream them, whatever. But you've been in yeah. Los Angeles a long, long time. Um, and you, this is, bef like, before you had the ability to do this. How did you watch games before when you first left TL? Well, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I actually, I lived in New York for um, just over 20 years before I moved out here full-time uh, a few years back. But, um what I would do is I would I'd be forced to go to like some kind of a sports bar, um, <laughs> some kind of a and, sports and, bar. Yeah, and and well, because there are different, you know, some are like not total sports bar, but they have like a satellite, and I would have to convince uh, you know the proprietor or the bartender or whatever to put one of the TVs on the Leafs game, and often I used to go to a place all the time that had I don't know six or seven TVs up behind the bar, and we convince him to just put like one on the Leafs game with no sound. Right. And we'd sit there for hours with our 
next you know crane or uh, uh, looking up <laughs> at this one school while everybody else is watching like the Knicks game, um, and uh, we're just sort of watching in in silence, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and it was like a, it was like a chore. Like we would have to. It was, it was like a whole thing. And I didn't, you know, back then. Uh, um, I didn't get to watch as many uh, regular season games, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, just such a thing, and it, it would mean spending three nights a week in a bar. Um, <laughs> Which, I mean, isn't the worst thing. Not the worst. Back then, that was not uncommon, to be honest. But <laughs> um, but then, you know, during the playoffs, it would be every other night. Um, I remember, like, I remember during, you know, 92 and the, and the 93 runs, um, realizing that of like 42 nights, I'd gone 21 days uh, to this <laughs> sports bar. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, you picked the right run, right? I mean, that was a that was, was a very yeah. good. It was a very good run. We still talk about it now. <laughs> you, the the group that went with you, though, were they Canadians? Were yeah. they Leafs fans, or had you started converting people to the the gospel of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, it was it was mainly Leafs fans. I uh, um, my roommate back then uh, was a fellow Torontonian, um, and we had a couple other you know uh, um, Toronto friends who would uh, who would join us. Then there there were other Canadians. We had a good buddy of ours who was a Habs fan. Um, what a shame! And then we had another buddy. Who, yeah, I know. And another buddy uh, who's still still a good buddy of ours who's a uh, uh, Canucks fan, and um, which was. Which was difficult in in uh, you know ninety three ninety four, um, the Canucks beat the Leafs and they went on to play the Rangers. Oh yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, and that was that was a real strain on our friendship. Um, <laughs> well, and didn't that, that happen? That we in, never fully recovered from. Yeah. Well, didn't that happen in Game Seven too, like in heartbreaking fashion? Game seven, you mean in the uh, Leafs Kings? No, was it how how many or games the, did did ninety three ninety four go the next year? Against Vancouver, I, I think I think Vancouver they did wasn't it six games? Oh, was Maybe it six? I'm wrong. I'll have to look it up. I'll look it up. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can understand how it might have strained your friendship. Um, and then and then of course you know his uh, you know the Canucks go on to play the Rangers that year. Uh, that must yeah. have been a stressful yeah. time for him. Were you there for emotional support, or were you kind of waving it at his face uh, when they didn't win? I I at that point you know living in in New York uh, the Rangers were kind of my my uh, my default team after the the Leafs um, and you know I'd go to uh, a bunch of Rangers games um, and so I kind of I think he he suspected this we never have really talked about it but I was kind of um, pulling for the Rangers to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> again again I, even all these years later I'm, I'm still like a little wary to talk about it because he's super sensitive about it. I think that he would be he, he wouldn't take it the right way well it would be like you saying that you were a big fan of the Bruins in 2011 right yeah <laughs> well I, I, I pulled for uh, I was pulling for the Canucks uh, then um, I've never pulled for the Bruins I know we only had Will's picture in the studio as a stand-in for him as a guest. There was that great moment where, like, the camera, you, you realize that it's a picture of Will, and it's very uh, its very interesting tableau Yes, during the podcast of us and this framed photo. <laughs> um, he, uh, it, did, it did feel like he was in the room, though. He's just so easy to talk to. Another person who we had who just was 
so incredibly easy to talk to and someone who I've been a big fan of for years and even more of a fan after the show was Super Leafs fan and IndyCar driver James Hinchcliffe. Yes. He was an absolute riot for us to talk to and really interesting to get that perspective of a professional athlete who just has lived and breathed the Toronto Maple Leafs for such a long time. So we're going to have a listen to some of the great conversation that we had with James earlier this year. So James, um, uh, Oakville, Ontario, uh, is it fair to say you grew up a Toronto Maple Leafs fan? That is a very fair thing to say. But what's, what's funny is my, my hockey education actually started a little later than most kids because my dad's from England. And so growing up, I didn't have that kind of hockey influence because my dad didn't care, care about hockey, he cared about racing. Yeah. So I, Your dad I get along well with my, with my mother who doesn't care about hockey but loves V8 motorcars. <laughs> there, there you go. All those things are incredible. So I get it. Trust me. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, it wasn't until I got to school and realized that, you know, I was the only one really that was watching racing and everyone else was watching and or already playing hockey. So I got a little bit of a, a later start in life to it. But yes, definitely, uh, definitely safe to say we support the Leafs. Well, what was your first uh, what was your first like Leafs memory that you're like, OK, now I'm a Leafs fan. What is it? Let's go. Oh, man, it's it's tough to like to like take it down to like a certain point. But, you know, like I I really fell in love with the team during like the, the Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clark era. And, uh, you know, I had posters of Felix Pavan on the, on the wall. And, um, you know, my, my dad would occasionally be able to, to get tickets through work or whatever. And so we went to a couple games with my, you know, my brother and I, and it was, it was just such a cool atmosphere. You know I mean? I'm a sports fan in general and, big Toronto sports fan so it was it was easy to fall in love with those guys yeah I've seen I've seen pictures of your hat collection like you're you're back in all the teams there <laughs> yeah we've got lots of Jays lots of Raps lots of Leafs we're uh, you know it's, uh, Canadians support Canadians you know it's uh I feel that love from Toronto every time I'm back or you know every time we have a race and um you know like I said I'm just I'm just a big supporter of all the sports in the city so you said you came to, that your father would get tickets through work and that you and you and your brother and that would would come to some games. Do you remember what it was like the first time you came to a game, how you felt coming into what I'm I'm guessing at that time was probably the ACC? No, no, it, it was the gardens. Oh, it was the gardens. gardens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. never sure. Nope. <laughs> I'm never sure like how old were you when you came to a game? I assume yeah. yeah. We don't want to date you that much, well, but <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, exactly. Yeah, that was a compliment. You made me feel younger there. <laughs> so, do you- but yeah, no, I mean, um, it, for me, it was uh, because, like I said, we didn't grow up with it. And so I think, you know, a Leafs game could have very well been the first like hockey game I ever saw. Like, I don't know if I ever went to a buddy's game or anything like that, you know, before I got to go see an actual Leafs game. And so the, the noise and, you know, just the crowd and the action, like, I couldn't believe how loud it was when they slam into the boards, you know, like I remember as a kid just being blown away by like how visceral the experience was in person compared to on TV. And, uh, and it was a blast, you know, and then you grow up and then you're able to drink beer and then it becomes even more fun. (laughs) So it's, you know, it, it never, never, it never gets dull. It gets better and better as you get older. Have you managed to turn your dad into a hockey fan? Like, is he a hockey fan now or is he stick to his more... His motorsports. His motorsports or his more English sports? Well, I mean, it's, he, here's what's funny about him is he's not even, he's not even a typical Englishman in the sense that he likes racing and that's it. He's the only Brit I know that doesn't care about soccer or, you know, football as they call it, doesn't care about cricket. He cares about no sports 
butt racing. The, Worked out okay for me. You know, yeah. but, the Australian in me is really disappointed. He doesn't care about cricket. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't care about cricket. Doesn't care about deer. He's just, it's, it's racing or nothing. Um, James, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, you, you, you got a parent who is from a completely different country and, and I, you know, I, I grew up with a dad from, from, you know, Montreal. So not the same in that way, but my dad, that's all he cares about too, is motorsports. That's the, literally the only thing. And so I'm the, I'm the first person in my family to even care about hockey. My mom didn't care. My dad didn't care. My, you know, my mom grew up in Pittsburgh. So she went to some Penguins games pre Mario Lemieux when they had the blue jerseys in the seventies. But, um, wow. for you, uh, you know, Growing up in a country that is so hockey mad and getting into racing and, and you know what, that's kind of what you do outside of school. If you're in sports, you're, you're, you're doing those sports outside of school is what's it like to tell your friends? Yeah. I'm, uh, I got a race this weekend. That's kind of cool. Uh, it, it's cool if they understand what that means. Right. But you gotta, you gotta understand that growing up, I mean, I, I started in go-karts, right? That's, that's where everybody starts. And the saying that you race go-karts kind of makes you sound like a big nerd because people <laughs> just, they just think that you're going to like, you know, you know, XBX, you know, downtown and driving the little bumper cars kind of thing. And that's what they consider go-karts, you know, but there's a, there's a full on quote unquote professional league of kart racing where young kids that want to become professional drivers race. And it's, I mean, it's serious business. I mean, it's thousands yeah. and thousands of dollars and you travel all over. And, and all this is global. It. Like they have like world championships or like world level races of this all over the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, the last go-kart race I did was a couple of years ago and I was racing against, there were seven world championships in the class. The kids were from like eight or nine different countries. I mean, it, it's crazy. That is and, uh, and so, you know, as a kid, you know, if, if, if you're growing up in Ontario and you tell everybody you play hockey, they get it and they instantly love you. And if you say you race, you race go-karts, they're like, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. That was like growing up in Australia and being like, I'm super into ice hockey. Right. Yeah. They're like, just fish oh, out of water. yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> Having James on the show was just one of the highlights of the year for me because I had really like championed and badgered our producer that we, we get him on. Um, but we're hoping that we will get to see him again at some point, uh, either during the offseason or next season, because we definitely promised him that we would let him drive a Zamboni at some point. <laughs> we got to hook that up. And I definitely am going to keep this promise because we know he can go fast, but we don't know if he can go slow. <laughs> that would be it would be so much fun to watch. Now, uh, one of the other subjects that I, I was glad that we covered this year because it's really taking its prominent role, which I think is long overdue, is, is women in sport. And we had, yep. uh, we had Cassie Campbell, we had Christine Simpson. We'll, have, we'll talk a little bit more about them later on in the show and have some highlights. But the first one I want to start with is Andy Petrillo, yep. who uh, started at a time, and it wasn't that long ago, where you know two women on a new, news and sports cast wasn't a thing. No. And no. she told us stories about how that changed over the course of her career. Uh, Lisa McLean Stelic. Yes. Wanted you to be her sports host. But there was some pushback from the station uh, because there would have been two women mm-hmm. on the desk. And the, I guess the other one was Jennifer Buchanan. Yes, who's my best friend now. Um, <laughs> and, and this is 2004. Mm-hmm. If you said if there was pushback now for something like that, mm-hmm. whoever was pushing back would probably be fired. Yeah. The change in the way that women are viewed, especially in sports, but you know, in, in, in television and news and that sort of thing has changed that much. Um, can you, can you describe that experience and then the change that you've seen over the course of your career? 
Yeah, that was, it was a really strange experience because I, I mean, I'm fortunate where, you know, my parents have been incredible. And, you know, there's never really such a thing as impossible or you can't do that. Um, because, I've got a set of those as well. Yeah. They're pretty great. Like it was never because you're a girl or because you're blonde or green. Like you, there's never a reason why you couldn't do something. And Lisa McLean Stelic is absolutely incredible and she was a huge supporter of mine. And when I said to her, I want this gig, it was like, to her, she looked at me like, yeah, no kidding, don't worry, you're my first choice. Uh, so she just obviously had to go through the proper channels, though. And time was a ticket. And I'm like, hey, you know, this guy, his last day is, you know, not that far off. Do I have the job or not? And I just remember the look on her face where she's like, and I could tell she was struggling on if she should tell me. But she finally just said, she goes, well, believe it or not, um, they all love you. They think you're great and they think you're perfect for the job. But there's concern that if we give you the job, we're now going to have two women at the desk because Jennifer Buchanan was the news anchor and now if you put someone in sports and I just remember looking at her like er, like honestly it was a Scooby-Doo moment yeah. I'm like huh? Like, Didn't this, even this, occur. this doesn't compute to me yeah, I, I don't exactly. get how this is a thing wasn't even formulating the information because I'm like I just don't understand what you're saying um, and then it was after she walked away that I'm like is that a thing like is that really a thing like you can't have two women like I see two men all the time and that was the first time I was kind of exposed I guess to mm -hmm. that way of thinking or that that stuff just even exists. Anyways, needless to say, Lisa prevailed and I ended up getting the job, but it was still just baffling that that would be a reason why you wouldn't give someone the job. Like you finished, you just said that they're perfect. At that point I had been there for five years, right? Cause wow. I started volunteering there when I was 19. So it's not like I hadn't paid my dues, right? It's not like I came swooping in at a left field. I'd been there for five years. I started off as a volunteer. Um, I was going to leave because there wasn't work there, but they scrounged up money to pay me after my internship, because I volunteered, did an internship, then they paid me after that as well. That's how much they valued me. So I'm like, I've climbed the ranks here. Like, I've paid my dues. Mm -hmm. And now my gender's going to be the roadblock? You have to be kidding me. Um, but thankfully, it wasn't, and common sense prevailed, and I got the gig. So now, and, and I said it before, but you know, you were the first on Hockey Night in Canada, first woman. Mm. In first, studio, yeah. In studio. Yeah. First, uh, first woman to have her own sports talk radio show mm -hmm. daily. Do those mm -hmm. things compute to you? Do the, does that sink in when you do your first show, when you do your first hit on Hockey Night in Canada, and mm -hmm. you know that that's – and we'll get to it. But does that, does that sort of sink in that you're a bit of a trailblazer and that this is a first? Uh, I mean, yes and no. With Hockey Night, it was, it was interesting because obviously at the time that I got hired, Cassie Campbell, now Cassie mm -hmm. Campbell Pascal was there, who's absolutely incredible – um, you know, and there were, had been a few women before, but then when I found out that I was the first in studio, I'm like, that's, that's pretty cool, right? Like fronting, we started off with game day, then it turned into the iDesk where I was in studio, and then I hosted the post-game show, you know, from studio online during playoffs, and it never really sunk in because, you know, I was still surrounded by some pretty incredible women there, but I'm like, huh, that's, that's cool to get into the studio, to jump and make that that uh, leap. The radio one really took me by surprise because I had heard women's voices on radio before. I just never realized, I guess it never really dawned on me that they did updates uh, and that there were certain you know, women who were hosting shows, but it was once a week. Mm -hmm. So it was never really a daily thing, to your point. And as proud as I am of having accomplished that and opening a door, I guess there is another part of me that's still a little sad that I'm like, at, like <laughs> it took this long, like really? Um, so it's, you struggle with the emotions. Even when I hosted, um, the FIFA world cup in 2014, you know, a lot of people were writing in and they were, 
these beautiful emails from you know a lot of viewers saying it's so nice to see a woman at the desk fronting like a major event FIFA World Cup and so again it's so nice that people are writing that and you're so happy but then there's the other part of you thinking do I stand out that much yeah. the fact and that should I they have to write this in in this year yeah. in this year in the this fact year. that I stick out like a sore thumb yeah. you know says something right so you're happy but at the same time you're like all it's right a bittersweet kind you, of you want it to be normal yeah right? yeah Want it to be like this isn't this is it isn't should be unusual. an everyday occurrence, yeah. a normalization part of society. Yeah. And I mean other people have their stories to share, so I won't say their names, but there have been other women in the industry. This is another thing that kind of bugs us. Um, they've been in the industry for a long time. Like I'm talking even over a decade. And that they'll still get people where they'll come up to going, Wow, you're actually really good. Like I didn't know you could do this. And they're like, Okay, I understand the compliment. I see where you're coming from, but you're really that surprised? Like, come on, mm -hmm. right? So there are still women in the industry who have been around for a long time, even myself sometimes. Like, I've been around, oh my goodness, we're almost going to hit two decades. Anywho, um, <laughs> where people are like, wow, I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, you didn't, you didn't. Yeah. You've not been paying attention. Come on. So you, how, how long did you spend with Leaps TV in, your, in, in the entirety of your time here? So I would have joined for the 0607 season. And then I stayed for the first half of the 2011-12. I left in December of that That's year. That's a significant amount of time. That's yeah, so I was here for a good while. Wow. I loved it. And, and actually, I was very... I mean, this is what this is why we, we are in the industry, right? You always want to challenge yourself. You always want to get bigger, better. Um, and we always say, you always want to go national, right? So as, as exciting as it was to go to hockey night, I actually... It was a really tearful moment. Like, walking into the office at the time, you know... Um, Tom and Salmi was running things, and I just remember being really sad and having to like hand in my letter of resignation. I said, "You don't." Now, understand. were you coming here? Or were you coming to three hundred seven? I was. Well, that's when. Oh, I was coming here. Air yeah. Canada yeah, Center. Air yeah. Canada for anybody Center. not. For <laughs> anybody. Anyone doesn't know three hundred seven is the area formerly known as yes. where Leafs TV operated out of, which has a kind of like iconic place in yes. in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Leafs TV here, but. Getting to work on something like Leafs TV and Leafs Nation Network and representing the team um, and, and this kind of brand, like what made something like that really special? And what kind of what kind of memories do you have like of just awesome things that you got to do as, mm. as part of that? Because I know you went to, I believe you went to Afghanistan mm -hmm. and I believe you also went to Haiti yeah, went as to part Haiti. of it. Yeah, wow. it was really cool. I mean, Tom and Salmi, you know, who was the former CEO here, he was incredible and he wanted to really give back to the community and I was fortunate enough to be a part of that. I mean, on, on one side, when you work for a team, yes, it can be difficult sometimes as a journalist, like you have certain information, but you can't share it, but that's in our DNA, don't wanna share information, be the first to get it out there, but you start to understand that you're part of the team and you're about sending whatever message the team wants to send out, you're that conduit, and that's just what you signed up for, right? But then obviously being part of this great organization that's also known as Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, we got to do so many other things. So yeah, we went to Haiti. It was right after they had that massive earthquake. Uh, they have their partnership with Air Canada. So we were able to load up Air Canada with a whole bunch of supplies. They flew us down there. We were able to deliver them. It was really sad. You know, we went to these makeshift hospitals. We went to these makeshift orphanages because, I mean, a lot of these young children lost their parents. Um, and you try to spread a little bit of joy. And then we ended up going off Afghanistan to cheer up the troops. We brought the Stanley Cup. We had some rock bands with us. Like, you know, former NHLers came and they played ball hockey with the military. And that was just, it's an incredible experience to also see how sport 
can really brighten up somebody's day, right? Like here you are, you're in Afghanistan, you're in the middle of a war zone, it's nothing but dust around you. And then, you know, Lanny McDonald shows up with a Calgary Flames t-shirt and these snipers who have like, you know, absolutely no emotion, they're like, all of a sudden, <laughs> they cracked a little bit of a smile. Like, remember in Terminator 2 and Arnold Schwarzenegger, they try to teach that. Teach him to smile. Teach him to smile. Like that was the snipers. It almost looked like it was painful for them to smile, but they did, right? Because you have Leafs gear, and you know, obviously, Lanny, even though he played for the Leafs, is known for Calgary, his time there. So it was just incredible to see that, you know, that could bring joy to people. And he's one of those people. It, who is so inspiring and yeah. and the great thing is about Andy is that she's not you know it's not a retrospective on her career she is right in the middle of it yep. at the peak of it yep. right she's she's anchoring that that radio show she's out there every single day covering this team you know her voice is in everyone's ears and everyone's cars like she is in the thick of it and she started it Leafs Nation Network, Gate 5. <laughs> Gate 5. <laughs> Another incredible woman that we had on this year who is one of my personal like idols, someone that I have looked up to for an incredibly long time and was, if, you, if you've seen the podcast, I was clearly giddy to get to interview, was Christine Sampson, who has just been blazing a trail through Hockey Night in Canada and, and Sportsnet for so many years. And it was just an incredible experience to get her on and hear about her journey and how she kind of views the whole world of, of what she does mm -hmm. and, and how she got there. Well, it's funny because I did not come into this the traditional way at all. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's an understatement. I, and honestly, growing I'm up, I think there's not really a traditional way. And anymore. you know what? Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely like, right. And that's the good well, news. Well, you have a more traditional background, yeah, but, but I was like, yeah, I like, ended up with yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, a web, of course, I'm a web girl who now has a microphone. And of course, the Australian is going to work in Canadian <laughs> hockey. I mean, that's what that's what they all do, isn't it? Made to be better. <laughs> exactly. So true. Yeah, I think you're probably the only one that actually went to school to learn how to I do this. I out of school to learn how to do okay. this. Yeah, I, uh, I went but to... But you started. You know, I started it yeah, and then you never finished it. it. I didn't make an effort, yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, I mean, when I went to Western a million years ago, um, this was not at all mm -hmm. on my radar. Hockey had been a huge part of my life just being, you know, by virtue being a member of, of my family and though in particular by being the middle sister between two hockey playing brothers. This doesn't sound like a competitive family. Oh, no, not at all. No, not at all. At the dinner table, in the basement, at the ping pong table. Uh, but funny enough, my, my older sister has no interest in hockey, is not a sports person at all. So I do think birth order has a lot to do with it, That's too. Because, so my older brother, Dave, he was the, the first real hockey player in the family. He played junior, was captain of the London Knights, was drafted by the New York Islanders in 1980, just as they were about to start their uh, dynasty of Stanley Cups. I was the middle sister, and then Craig is my little brother, drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 85, and then traded to the Edmonton Oilers, where he went on to win two Stanley Cups. So for, for us, growing up in London, Ontario, winters were spent at the rink, and Saturdays in particular, because it would be Dave would have a game first, no, Craig would usually have a game first, and then Dave would have a game and then we'd all the be home. always earlier right? exactly yeah. and then and then we'd be home to watch hockey night in Canada every Saturday so I mean just as this the younger sister like my older sister could at least do her own thing and she wasn't interested I was too young to probably be you know you were there you exactly. were watching yeah. hockey. I was there whether I wanted to or Both not yeah. but ironically I, I love
loved it. I started watching it and, you know, because it was my brother's, but little did I know then, I mean, that's when I was really learning about the game, mm -hmm. uh, learning to love the game and learning and meeting people in the game. So fast forward to, to, for me then going to Western, didn't really know what I wanted to do, was taking all kinds of different, um, mainly social sciences, but I took journalism 20, but didn't, you know, it's yeah. not like, oh, that's what I want to do. So after graduating from Western though, I, I moved to Toronto and was involved a lot more in marketing and PR. And frankly, you were the whole of, whole of fame. Correct? I was. And ironically, because, you know, and this is also a lesson for anybody, I I had so many jobs before even working at the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Fame job was the first time I really felt that my education and my interests were sort of combining for something, something that I loved. So I was the marketing manager at the Hockey Hall of Fame, started in 1992, um, started the fall of 92, but hired because the hall was moving to, to, of course, where it is now at Young and Front, it opened in the summer of 93. So being in that job though, it did combine hockey, which I loved. And by that point, too, I knew so many people. You know, my brother Craig was playing in the NHL. Um, Dave had, you know, taken his career as far as he could in hockey and actually had gone back to Western to get an MBA. But doing that job, it just, in, in addition to dealing with sponsors and dealing, you know, with the media, that was part of my job, um, I kind of became the de facto media spokesperson because in the summer of 93. It was a big deal when it first opened at Young mm -hmm. and Fred. Like there really wasn't an attraction quite like that in and the city. There wasn't much in, much down there no. at the time. No. Well, the old Hall of Fame was this tiny little museum on exhibition grounds. The new Hall of Fame was interactive. It had, you know, a little mini rink in it. It had all these cool things that you could do. And it has that, that beautiful do. vault. Exactly. Yeah. The oh. old Bank of Montreal building. So it was such a great story. It. So we would have media requests coming from, frankly, all over the world, not just all of the Canadian media, but Good Morning America would come to do some NHK from Japan. So they would kind of just sort of throw me out there. I was dealing with the media, but all of a sudden it was, you know, producers or hosts saying, well, you know, you know a lot about hockey. Can I interview you as we're touring through the Hall of Fame? And that way, that'll be our story. So I sort of got thrown into that and quickly became the person who would be kind of the, the face for the Hall of Fame from a media standpoint. And after doing that, you know, enough times, I, I would have producers say, gosh, you really know a lot about hockey and you seem really comfortable in front of a camera. Have you ever thought of doing television? <laughs> and of course, I would just laugh like, oh, no, I don't know how to do that. I'm not trained to do that. But I can talk hockey with you, you know, nine ways to Sunday. Christine's just one of those those people who has had such a, I guess, non-traditional pathway to where she got to. And I think that was a really great story for us to get to share with our listeners well, without chasing those kind of dreams. Exactly. And, and you don't walk away from a conversation with Christine without feeling better. Oh, there's like, there's, she's got this positive aura, right? Every time she sees, like, I see her or she sees me at a Leafs game, I always feel that game is just so much better for the presence and having seen Christine. Yeah, it's all spirit. I love, I love her. She's and her, just fabulous. Her interviews are fantastic. You should check them out. She's amazing. Um, next, 
this is one of the things that you knew, like every episode that we, we would have an alumni on. Anybody who used to play for the team, I would be extra super pumped. Uh, and Like I never, I never used to think you could be more pumped than you generally <laughs> were. And then we had like uh, Darcy and Wendell and Daryl. And I was like, oh no, there's a whole new level to Adam. That's right. And, and it's amazing to have those guys now because unlike hockey players of today who are in the game, they, you know, who don't reveal that much, the guys, the alumni come back and they, they're willing to tell you some stories and Wendell Clark had the best one about how Doug Gilmore used to have to sneak into Maple Leaf Gardens. And then Dougie lived right beside the gardens. And we all have, used to have to deal with the fans because we parked outside and then walked through the people to no get in. Way. There was no there's getting no, into no the rink. There's no underground parking at Of course. So, so, we so getting to there. the rink and leaving the rink, you went through thousands of people. Yep. And did they have security set up? No, no, no. You walked right through everything. You're standing like if I walked outside a playoff game against Chicago at midnight, because you go, okay, let's just wait till midnight because yeah. there's people everywhere outside. And you'd walk outside, your, and there's... They boom. knew. And you're standing outside the ring signing autographs for an hour after a win or a loss. There's, you don't have a debate. Wow. It's, that's that's yeah. the way it was because there was no... Back in that era, there wasn't any of that word. And Dougie, because of morning skate... And he lived right next door. He put a hoodie on, pull his hood up, and throw a jersey on, and pretend he was a super fan, and walk through all the people to get into the rink because he'd have to come in through the front door through all the lines. So he pretended he was one of the Gilmore fans. He'd throw a Gilmore jersey on and then walk into the rink, <laughs> and people, amazing. how'd that guy get that access? And, and so that's uh, Doug Gilmore's that, brother. That, uh, <laughs> and exactly. so that's that's uh, it's great though. All you all the little things you'd play uh, that you. No, because we didn't have security. There wasn't any of that. Like oh, the people, when we beat out St. Louis it's total in 87. Yeah, of his. really. And in 93 or something, the rocking of the bus. Like the bus almost got tipped over by the fans. The visiting bus out back on Wood Street. Curtis Joseph talked, because he was, it's Yeah, funny, he'd have been on that team. People forget that, you know, I'm pretty sure, wasn't he the guy, he that, was the guy that Doug Gilmore scored the wraparound yep, on? Yep, game one. And, and I know that you guys just did a video recreating that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but you know that he he talks about. There was an interview I remember him talking about being kind of scared leaving, and that's kind of cool, right? I mean, it's yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's cool <laughs> because nothing happened. But yeah, <laughs> it's great because nothing went we're wrong. All here, but we're still still here today. So yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And he ended up being a fan. Intact. <laughs> we're we good. Are good. I just I loved. I'll say it again. How candid he was. Just how honest and open he's like. And and it's fun to hear him talk about how much fun he had. So it's I, I really enjoy listening to the alumni talk about their favorite times and their favorite moments. And then also listening to the alumni's fans like yourself <laughs> talk about how much the alumni meant to them. And it was really great when we had Daryl Sittler in because you got to tell the story to Daryl about how you picked your wedding date based on his number. And we're going to relive that story now. So uh, about a year ago, my fiance says to me, okay, so we're getting married in January 2018. We got two weekends open. <laughs> there is Saturday the 20th and Saturday the 27th. There you go. And I said to, I said to her, no word of a lie. I'm like, well, 27 is Daryl Sittler's number. Right. So we're going with the 27th. <laughs> so there you go. the reason I am getting married on the 27th or got married on the 27th is because of you and the impact you had on my life <laughs> and i i just want to say it, it's been such an honor to speak to you today Thank and i you. hope that didn't make you feel weird <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. but if you got married on the 20th that's the day the leafs traded me from 
Toronto to Philadelphia. I was, oh, jeez. Yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're 20. Yeah, I'd stick to 27. Yeah. <laughs> but both days are significant. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, oh, great. so Daryl, thank you for making all this time for us this morning, and uh, thank you for all that you do for Leafs Nation, what you've, all you've done so far and what you continue to do. We thank you. It. Right. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Genuinely you. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Asuka, you too. When are you getting married? So one of the one of the like side effects of you telling that story is at the end of that podcast, as we're like wrapping it up, saying our our thank yous and our goodbyes. Uh, you obviously like Daryl is quite delighted by your story and, and wishes you luck with your wedding, and then turns to me and asks me when I'm getting married, <laughs> and then the video cuts out at the end of the show. So Do you remember how you answered? Uh, I believe my answer was not anytime soon, Daryl, uh, and we wrapped up. So it was it was an amazing show it was just Daryl is just such a lovely guy and I could interview him we could have made 30 episodes of us interviewing Daryl and having him tell us about Swiss chalet chicken and, and all of these kind of things so it was just wonderful and you know it was the same with Darcy Tucker when he came on uh he talked about you know being a rep for Scotiabank and how important that is to him and his favorite moments you know with the Leafs and the playoffs and he's got a story you know we had the story on about Doug Gilmore trying to get in to Maple Leaf Gardens we have Darcy Tucker trying to get, get out, out. You came at a time where the Leafs had sort of gone through another revival, right? They had, you know, that early 90s team with Gilmore and Clark. Uh, and then they have, you know, Cujo comes to town yep. the next year, you're here. Um, tell us about what it was like to be part of that, because we're seeing it again. Yeah. And I want to know what, you know, you were in your early 20s. Most of the team now is in their early 20s. What are the emotions that you experience night to night? Yeah, I don't think it's a t an actual tangible thing that you can hold in your hand or you can uh, describe. Uh, it, it's more of a behind the scenes sort of thing. It's uh, it's an electricity in the city. It's uh, um, you leave your house, uh, you go to the grocery store, and you feel the buzz. Um, you feel the eyes. You feel the energy. Um, it's not something you can actually hold in your hand or, or um, have uh, from an ob object point of view. It's a, it's a feeling, a uh, feeling of walking in the building and seeing 20,000 people just rocking this place. It's, the playoffs is uh, crazy. Um, I remember us beating Ottawa in the second round uh, in 2002, and it took me 45 minutes just to get out of the parking garage and another <laughs> an hour and a half to get from uh, where we came out of the parking garage over to Jar. Street. So just the amount of people and the intensity uh, of which they love their Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, <laughs> I, I, I just, it, it's just an intangible. It uh, can't be uh, put into words. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's electric. When you when you leave the I've always wondered this when you leave that parking garage do people notice you in your car driving away like yeah, <laughs> do well, any fans it, go hey that that <laughs> night that, that night was uh, crazy uh, I remember having my two young kids uh, two and three years old uh, I think two or three uh, or three and four and and them being actually like. Yeah, shocked in their eyes, like uh, people were banging on the windows of the car. Tucker, way to go! We're gonna do this. We're gonna get the cup, and it's just, it's just like, wow! I'm, we were in shock, and uh, my wife kept saying to me, "We gotta get to Jarvis Street here before they flip the car," because it's like <laughs> there's so many people on the street uh, celebrating the, the opportunity that we had going into the conference finals against Carolina that year. 
So you are a Scotiabank teammate. Yep. Tell us a little bit about this role, what it means, what you've been doing. Obviously, you've been going out to hometown hockey yep. and you're doing some things here with the Leafs, but, but give us a bit more. Well, just in the communities across Canada, there's, there's so many uh, kids that need the opportunity and want the opportunity to play hockey. So to try to get out there and, and help them get that opportunity at Scotiabank, uh, we feel like we're doing that. Over a million kids uh, that we've helped uh, across Canada. And just the opportunity. It's a huge number, by the it's, way, the size of this country. It's a massive number. Yeah. I was I'm actually thinking about that. What, what's the current population of 36 Canada? 36 million. 36, that's, so one in 36 people. Well, yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of kids it's amazing too the the fact and I see a lot of them um, when I go to like uh, these events and uh, the opportunity to spend some time on the ice with them and, and pass the puck with them and just their eyes and how they look you know I do a lot of events with Lanny McDonald and <laughs> his persona is just so amazing with these kids and just kids just, love that mustache I, I remember oh. it so I tell a story I remember it as a kid I got the opportunity to go watch the Flames play and Lanny McDonald gave me a, a, a puck uh, after a game in Calgary and uh, just that moment in time he up until then, I'd always thought that the NHL and the NHL players was like a movie. Like, oh, it's just, it's happening, but uh, I've never seen it. It's not, is it really? It's not tangible. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And then to get that in my hand and, and look, and there's the mustache, and like, wow, it, it, it hit home for me, and it touched me, and I thought, wow, that I can actually do this. Like, I, I can actually play on that ice and get the opportunity to play in the National Hockey League. So in doing so with Scotiabank, we're, we're touching a lot of lives and touching a lot of kids that uh, have the opportunity to do great things in the game of hockey, and they're going to do great things. How did you get that? How did that happen? How did you manage to get that? How did you meet Lanny? Well, so uh, my dad uh, had a friend that used to come out and spend some time at our farm and, and uh, um, do some stuff out there. And he was a lawyer and he had uh, season tickets uh, to the Calgary Flames and his, his season tickets were at row 15 right behind the Flames bench. Oh. So uh, before the game, we got there our seats and then you kind of sneak your way down and then all of a sudden you're right beside the, the bench. And back then you just had, you, the players just leave the ice. They didn't have those big things that covered where the players would go, you know, underneath. It's like kind of like here in Toronto, you got the opportunity. I remember when I was playing here in Toronto, I, you know, uh, after the warm-up, I'd always give one of the kids a puck when I was going by, just because I remembered it as a kid. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of it, well, it followed me to my career and what uh, Lanny had done that night for me and the opportunity to maybe give back and do the exact same thing was pretty special for me. So uh, what a season. Loved Darcy, loved everybody. It was fantastic. And of course, if you want to watch any of the episodes again or listen to any of the episodes, Download the podcast wherever you get podcasts or just log on to uh, your Maple Leafs app and, uh, and, and be a part of Leafs Nation because, man, what a, a season of great conversation. If you are new to this podcast, there is 29 other <laughs> amazing episodes you can listen to that expand on so many of the things uh, we spoke about today. And there's just some other incredible interviews that we didn't even get a chance to touch on mm -hmm. in this wrap-up. So I encourage you, if you haven't heard them, go and listen to them. If you love the Leafs, there's some incredible Leafs stories there. There is the people that you know now who shaped the team. There is the people who uh, used to be part of the team in that way. There's just so many incredible stories. And we want to say thank you. Thank yes. you for watching. Thank you for listening. However you got this show, we really appreciate it. It was our first season. We hacked our way through it. 30 episodes later, I feel like we did I pretty like good. I like we hacked our way through it. <laughs> we did. You know, we like we we can't like any sh any show. You never know, right? You got to you got to go and you got to try it and so Saski, it was a pleasure. We have to thank one. one more group of people before we leave. Okay. We have to thank our incredible producer Angela and her entire team who have filmed this show, cut this show, Booked assisted the on the show, booked the guests. 
done everything. Like we turn up and with our, with our little bit of notes and we interview people and then they go and make it into the magic that you see and listen to. So without them, there is no Blue Line podcast. So yeah, from, from me, from Adam, we thank them. We thank you for listening to us and hopefully we'll see you next season. <laughs>